0: Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up to date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. We're back again with another quarantine edition. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. Along with Special Jennings, I'm Eversaka Joby, joined today by an esteemed guest. He is the Vice President Director of Athletics of the University of North Texas. He was once a Division II head men's basketball coach with a, with a winning record. He's from Oklahoma, so you know that means he's probably Joe Exotic's Cousin, second cousin, brother, sister, on a daddy's side.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know this of the characters in that show, and I did watch it. Uh, I definitely am, the, am more supportive of Joe than Carol. So, I want to thank you
0: <laughs> You can find him on Twitter, at Ren Baker. And you also follow North Test Athletics on social media, at Mean Green Sports. My brother, Ren Baker, how you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing good. It's uh... – you know, obviously, we're all going through a lot of changes right now with uh, the pandemic stuff, but uh, I've, got my, I've got two little girls, eight and five, and they're with me. And, um, so getting to spend a little bit of time with them and still able to do a lot of uh, the work that we do from, from home. And so we're very blessed. I'm, I'm, I feel fortunate uh, given uh, kind of everything that uh, we're dealing with to, to be in the, the position that we are.
0: Stand, stand, right there. You've been, you've been at home. I know that grocery bill don't went up. I know a lot of time in front of the Netflix bill went up.
1: Yeah, what, since my wife watching. is my wife is a homeschool teacher basically right now, so my wine bill has went up too because she gets she dips into that a little a little earlier <laughs> and, a, and a little harder than she normally does. So yeah, we got some bills that went up, but uh, we've got some that went down too. So <laughs> what are y'all binge watching as a family? Um, so the girls. A lot of times they watch YouTube kids on their iPads, so and it's amazing. You want to talk about the power of marketing? Uh, what it, like they'll come in here, knock on the door, and ask me for a toy because they've seen some other kid play with it, you know. And uh, <laughs> some of the toys they even have, and I'm like, you'd rather watch a kid play with a toy than actually go play with the toy. I don't really get this, but um, Heather and I. Uh, you know we just finished there was an, a new season uploaded of last kingdom we finished that a uh, new season of ozark we're watching that so we do binge watch usually after we get the kids to bed which is between 8 30 and 9 depends on if heather falls asleep uh when, when she's in there we take turns putting them to bed so um but usually from about 9 to 10 10 30 we'll watch uh, we'll binge watch a little bit and uh so we get one to two episodes in but um, we have not cut the cord, uh, but I'm not sure why, because outside of Netflix and, and Amazon Prime, we really don't watch anything else.
0: On the No Referees podcast, we all, we have all our guests and coaches who affiliated with sports. You were once a head coach. You, most people may not know you were once an assistant coach. So I want to know, what was your very first time you ever got into it with a referee, and if you ever got a technical foul?
1: Yeah, um, People, it's, you know, like a lot of people ask sometimes, because like when I was at Roger State, I was the AD and head coach. And they're like, what made you pick one path over the other? And honestly, it was um, – I felt better equipped for the AD's job. Um, and, uh, you know, I felt like as a head coach, um, I just struggled sometimes to to find consistency in what I wanted to be. And so, um, you know, and, and so I was actually um, – I got a few technicals, and I actually got tossed from one game.
0: Uh, hold on. Give us that story. Give us real now, quick. Give I us mean, quick. Give it, us like, I'm
1: so the uh, – it was at St. Gregory's University, which is now um, – that was a small private Catholic school in Oklahoma. And so now it's uh, that – they've closed down, actually. But uh, we were playing there on the road. Uh, we had an older uh, referee, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm a rookie uh, coach I think it was 27 or 28 at the time and uh he had teed me up early I didn't think he was calling a very uh good game uh and uh so then we uh uh later on I started getting on him and I had an assistant that would chirp some too and uh, uh and uh he uh he said he'd come over there and stare me down he said one more word and I, I was and I said what are you talking about and he ran me well, kind of find out. I think my assistant had yelled "stop cheating" at him, and I—he <laughs> thought it was me. I didn't even hear it, so I got—I got ran. Uh, so, um, but uh, yeah. So sometimes when I'm talking to coaches about, you know, hey, this doesn't really help the situation. At least I'm talking because I've been, I've been there and have a little bit of experience that, you know, I think sometimes when coaches when you lose your composure, uh, it has a very negative in, impact on your team. They start to feel like they're being cheated and they start to react and so uh, to the best that you can I think it's good to stay pretty even killed over there um, but but that's easier said than done.
0: With the COVID-19 situation you know you being the director of athletics uh, at North Texas just walk us through what your thought process and protocol that you had once you find out once you found out that you know season would have to be canceled and things of that nature.
1: Yeah, so probably like a lot of uh, people in America, I was seeing the reports leading up to uh, March and, and conference basketball tournaments um, that, hey, this is dangerous. Hey, this is in the United States. But um, to be honest, and this is probably – we all probably had a little bit of a sense of uh, false security and arrogance in this. But I was kind of thinking, you know, I, I in my time, how many times have we had something that was going to be – devastating to us and it never really has affected us and so uh i was uh i was not really did not understand the potential magnitude of it uh because i just felt like we would we we would be fine like we've always been and uh so then we we're in the conference tournament we actually won the regular season championship on our men side and and uh, we got through the first day of the conference tournament, our women lost a tough a tough game, our men, they didn't play till day two because they got a bye, and uh, uh, I just remember that Wednesday night, like so many, uh, were watching the the uh, Thunder Jazz game, and, uh, you know, are watching the NBA and all that night, and all of a sudden, they pulled those guys off the floor and found out they really tested positive, and it just changed a lot of things, but I still felt like, oh, we're going to play the games, right, we're going to. Uh, we may have limited fans, and um, I'd already tried to cut deals because we were going to, as a conference, limit everybody 150 tickets. While well, it was in Frisco, which is uh, 45 minutes from us. And um, and so I was trying to get the schools like Marshall and Old Dominion and, and uh, Charlotte and all those schools from way away. I was trying to cut deals to get into their 150 tickets because we had a lot of people wanting to go. Um, and uh, that was all for naught because just shortly – after that, we canceled the conference tournament. And so, when that happened, we were the number one seed and regular season champion. So, we we got to bid to the NCAA tournament. I thought, we're sure going to play it. And next hey. uh, thing you know, uh, a day or two later, it's canceled. And so, uh, things changed rapidly. You know, I mean, that seems like a month of stories, and that was in, you know, 72 hours. And, uh, you know, it, uh, and since then, it's changed rapidly too. It's, I think we're spending a lot of time. Uh, planning for an infinite number of scenarios, uh, an infinite number of scenarios from a budget perspective, um, and an infinite number of, per, of scenarios from a when are we gonna bring our employees back, and how are we gonna make sure they're safe, um, you know, what phases we do in that, when are we gonna bring student athletes back and get, get false uh, sports uh, practices underway. And then ultimately, are we going to play games? And it's the same whole conversation we were having back in March. Is that going to be in front of fans or not? Um, You know, are we going to try to social distance? Are we going to have sections of the stadium that – where we do social distance or personal protective equipment? Um, And so there's a lot that's going into that. And you just – you know, you you don't know uh, all the information. I believe we're going to have a lot more data by the time September gets here, right, and and we know – uh, I think uh, under the age of 25, there's only been maybe 100 people die of COVID in the, in the entire country. So we know it's relatively safe for people in that age demographic. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we have some data, but we'll have a lot more as testing becomes readily available and we get closer to having vaccines and able to test for antibodies uh, with, uh, you know, broad consistency and availability of tests. and. Um, and that, that data's got to drive our decisions. But the timeline's compressed enough. You can't wait until you have the data to start to plan. So planning for all those scenarios in between is kind of tough. And, uh, you know, just like tests, they're $100 a piece. So we can going to test these kids when they first come back. Are we testing them once a week, once a month? Or are we only testing if somebody's showing symptoms? You know, are we quarantining just the kids showing symptoms or the whole team? There's just so many decision points that you got – that you have to talk through in that. And that's what we're spending our time doing. So, I'm in meetings now more than I've ever been uh, just because we're – everything we're dealing with, there's so many more possibilities.
2: So, I I did have a question. Um, I know that for our um, league they're looking at possibly not doing – not doing conference – conference tournament at all. Um, Are you – are you guys facing pretty much the same thing?
1: Yeah. So, they're – it's interesting. um, we're looking at a variety of scenarios. Uh, some of it involve the regular season. Uh, so we've talked about uh, cutting back in the regular season, only playing uh, east-west, so just playing within your division, and that's it. Uh, that creates problems because certain sports, you take volleyball, for instance, in our league, the east tends to be probably stronger than the west. But you take softball, and the west is a lot stronger than the east usually. And so um, if you only play inside those divisions uh, and especially if you cut the number of teams um, higher, you know, the, the fourth place team in the West may be better than the second place team in the East. And so we're having all kinds of conversations around us. We have not made any decisions yet. Um, but I do think we're probably going to have altered regular season schedules. Uh, some that are shorter, some that might be longer. It just depends on uh, which ways we can save the most money and we'll probably have condensed conference championships. I don't I don't think we'll eliminate conference championships um, in our league, but I do think if we normally had eight, we'll probably have four. If we were doing 12, we're probably going to have six to eight. Um, try and basically try and cut a day off all those tournaments.
2: Okay. Well, switching gears, I, I know we got a lot of coaches that listen to uh, the podcast. I'm jump right into it. As a, as a director of athletics, um, like, what do you look for in the hiring process? When you're hiring a candidate, whether it's, you know, for whatever sport, um, we can use basketball for an example, but what what are you looking for in that candidate?
1: Yeah, that's changed uh, for me over uh, over time a little bit, and it changes according to the situation. Um, might even change according to the sport. Um, you know, like I um, – you don't hear ADs probably admit this, but, but it's, if they're being honest, they would. They're sports where I have fairly, uh, good knowledge of, uh, of the, uh, of just strategy, uh, and sports that I don't, you know? And so it, it you know, i am Uh, I always joke I'm still figuring out the rules for the libero in volleyball. Uh, And I say that somewhat in jest, but, you know, I don't know it as well as I know basketball or football or or, uh, some of the other sports. So um, I think the first thing is, um, and I know this is an overused uh, phrase, but it really is fit. Um, So, for instance, when we were looking to hire a, a men's basketball coach here a few years ago, I felt like it was really important to get somebody who had extensive recruiting uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex because um, everybody talks about this wealth of talent in DFW, and there is a lot of kids. But if you look at the history of our program, we have not been real successful. So just being in the middle of a talent-rich area by itself obviously is not enough to get (laughs) get get us to success. And so I felt like it was really important um, in that situation to have somebody who understood how to attack Dallas-Fort Worth. And actually one of the uh, Everest and I's buddies, Josh Pastner is, is kind of somebody who talked to me a little bit about that early. He said, you know, when you look at those major metropolitan areas, you can put your whole staff in there recruiting, wasting a lot of time because you can't get them, you know? And so, um, I, and so I thought that was important. Um, I, I'm much less formal than a lot of uh, people in the interview process we may spend an hour and a half, two hours, but it'll be a very casual conversation. I really want to get to know the coach and what, um, what their um, culture is going to be like, not just what, you know, not just tell me about your culture, but like I want to talk to them about how they interact with players, how they build relationships. Uh, but I do that fairly casually and, and, and let the conversation just develop. Uh, as opposed to walking through a set of questions, um, so uh, generally uh, that's that's what uh, my process looks like. It could change a little bit based on the sport and you know, do I have a committee? I'm, I usually involve committees more um, if it's in a sport where I don't have as much comfort. So like men's basketball, which you know Evers talked about. I have a background there, It's how I got started in athletics. It was just me and my deputy a d. And we met with two, and we hired one of them. And, uh, I, you know, I, I had that process uh, lined out pretty seamlessly. Um, I hired a softball coach, and, and uh, we had – that committee was four of us, um, and we went through a couple of rounds of interviews and narrowed it down. And um, because I, you know, I, I know a little bit less about softball than basketball. And I wanted to, I wanted to get that feedback and opinion from, from that group. So it varies from, from, time, from situation to situation. But I do think um, you want somebody who uh, is a good fit and who has a good plan for putting um, a staff together that complements them.
2: I'm glad you just said that ran uh, um, with with this with the plan. So then with, with, having a plan um, from from a director of athletics perspective, what does success look like for you? Like what what does that look like?
1: Yeah, uh, it, you know it depends on the resume. Obviously, I had a coach that asked me a few days ago. He's getting ready to interview for a head coaching job. and He's never been a head coach, and so he said, "Do you like to see um, a binder of information and and all that kind of stuff?" And I said. Um, if I'm dealing with – when I hired Grant McCaslin, no, because, you know, he, had, he won a junior college national championship, went to D2 Elite Eight, was at a couple of highly successful teams at Baylor, and then went to Arkansas State and won the most uh, games ever in his first year there. So I really just want to talk about more um, what are you looking for, you know, in your next stop and here's what we're looking for and does this um, – does this match up? Um, I when I was back at Northwest Missouri State which is a really good division two football program the football job came open uh, suddenly due to uh, we had a head coach pass away and so I interviewed one of the assistant coaches for that job um, and he had everything planned out and, and all the way down to he said we never make it through a full season with enough chin straps so this is how many chin straps I want to order and like that when I was coming down to the decision, that meant something to me because what it told me was he hadn't been a head coach, but he's prepared for it. He's thought about this all the way down to the smallest detail. And so um, I think it depends on where you're at uh, in in your career journey. um, And you know, what kind of questions that there are. I mean, you, you can look at your, you know, somebody can look at their resume and they can see what the holes are and what the questions, you know, are. So you know, let's just take me, for instance, if I was going to interview for an 80s job at a private school, well, I've never worked at a private school. So, like, I better be prepared to answer, you know, how I how I would operate in an environment with a private school. Likely, a, a private Division One school is going to be high academic most of the time. So, you know, how, how you're going to uh, be able to work in that environment. And, uh, you know, I, I think the best way that you can answer the questions that are out there is probably than uh, what you have to do. I wanted to make sure that athletes had access to a, to a shooting machine that they could take anywhere. So I came up with the concept to fold it into a duffel bag. I ended up prototyping with my friend Xavier, welding our first prototypes in the garage. I made it for myself. I also made it for the millions of other athletes out there that are trying to reach their dreams and uh, trying to make it out.
0: Going back to Memphis real quick, you know, I'm just going to give the viewers out here listening and watching a quick little backstory between how me and Mr. Baker met. So Mr. Baker was the deputy athletic director at University of Memphis. His he worked with men's basketball. I was a men's basketball strength coach. He mentioned Josh and I was his strength coach for two basketball. So, you know, when we come around sometimes, he'd just be chilling, kind of seeing, you know, the, the landscape of the scene, you know. You know, we weren't really doing that well as a team that year, you know, not because of the talent, because a lot of other factors. So I decided to do something different with the team. People who know me know that, you know, a lot of jobs I've had talk about food a lot. One day in FedEx Forum, behind the scenes, I ordered an extra smoothie, large, like 64 ounce. And I had it to the side. And Ren rolls up in here. and I said, Ren, I got you a present. He said, What you got? I said, I got you this. I, I give him this smoothie. He's like, What is it? Like, it's a water, watermelon, banana, some kind of smoothie. So, boom, he loves it. He crushes it. Every time after every game from there on out, comes back there looking for a smoothie. And then one day he was like, "Yo, you got an extra one for my wife." I was like, "Man, come on, man!"
1: I mean, th- those smoothies are addictive, and I still love Smoothie King. If they put one in between here and my commute to work, I would stop there every day. But usually, <laughs> uh, I'm running behind enough; I don't have time to go uh, s- go search it out in town. But um, yeah, you get out you you sit there a, a long game. Those those smoothies, man that was uh, th- that was where it was at.
0: <laughs> yeah man, so yeah, I, I, that's my you know one of my fondest memories. I, obviously we used to travel on the plane to so have the food and used to love the food and hey yo, if anybody knows Ren Baker, this man loves his food. So don't give it to him and his food, y'all. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, i I tell you what, the the you know, the Memphis um experience was I, I really grew a lot and appreciated it because you did there's a lot of pressure um, particularly on the men's basketball coach at the University of Memphis because it uh, the program means so much to the city. Even people who aren't alums and who uh, aren't fans in other sports uh, they, they love that men's basketball program and it's it, what it represents and what it's meant to the city and so it it does become a little bit of a um, inside the program you got to kind of come together uh, because you, you feel like you're constantly... Um, you know, getting uh, attacked from different angles, and and so um, I, you know, I really grew from that experience and loved my time there, uh, and uh, it really prepared me uh, to be an AD more than any other job I had because we did have, I mean, I mean, as passionate of a following as you could possibly have, uh, and right. so. Uh, and the media covered it intensely, and they knew everything. That if the players got in a fight and practice day for and there's nobody else in the gym, they'd be reporting on it the next day. It was unbelievable how many how many ways they had to get that information. Uh, but it was a great place, and I loved my time there. And, you know, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. And Memphis was the very first city I ever lived in. And, you know, Memphis is one of those places, there's no middle ground. People either love it or hate it. Heather and I had a, Heather and I had a blast. We loved it. I tell people all the time. Um, I went there did not knowing, you know, you get on and you Google Memphis and it's the most dangerous city and all this stuff and um, never felt like I was in danger. Loved, loved being there, um, you know, still visit sometimes and uh, we really, I mean, we had a great experience there.
0: You know, these times, you know, uh, as an athletic director and myself being a strength coach in college for 10 plus years because Jennings is the associate head coach um, at the division level. These times, we're not as as engaged as much. You know, a lot of Zoom calls, you know, people are talking about Zoom fatigue and all that kind of stuff now. So, how do you keep your staff, everybody engaged at these times?
1: Yeah, so I'm not big on uh, meeting for the sake of meeting anyway. Uh, And so, Um, we meet more now than we normally do in person only because I know it's important in these uncertain times, even if I don't have updates with a lot of substance, my staff needs to hear from me because they, they're reading everyday people guessing about, you know, salary reductions and layoffs and are we going to play and, you know, is there going to be football and all of these different things. And so even though I don't have the answers to a lot of those questions, there's some stability that just comes from the regular touch points. So um, we're doing more of that now than we normally do, but I, but still, uh, you know, not a lot. So um, I, I try to uh, what what I've tried to do is, despite the uncertainty of where we are today um, as an athletic program, we've come a long ways the past few years. We got tremendous momentum, and um, and so I, it's really important to me that we don't get so mired in the circumstances of today that we take our eyes off of the goals that we had and the progress that we were making. And so, um, a couple of things that we've done. One is we're still doing professional development. So earlier this week, I think it was Monday morning. Um, we did an hour long uh, session with Chris Peterson, the former coach at football coach at the university of Washington. Um, and he just, he, he, he talked a little bit about, um, he calls it five-star coaching, but it was the five things that he looked for in assistant coaches. Um, And then he just did Q&A with our coaches and people from assistant tennis coach all the way to our head football coaches on there. And he treated them all the same. He was great with them. Um, And, um, you know, and we've done some other stuff with uh, Brad Ladbetter who uh, is done, who uh, wrote the book, What Drives Winning and um, talking about, You know, just how you coach and and how much you emphasize above-the-line behavior versus uh, trying to always just penalize below-the-line behavior and uh, how how to best pull that out of people and how kids react to it. So we're trying to focus on the future, and when I end the staff Zoom call, I'll always pick somebody random on the call, and um, I'll ask them a few questions. What have they been doing? What's been the biggest uh, positive thing to come out of this for them? Um, you know, and, and, but I, the last question I end it with is always, what are you most looking forward to when we get back to normal? And the reason for that is I want to leave those calls with people focused on circumstances are bleak today, but, but we're going to get past this and we're going to get back together and uh, get back focused on the future. And so, um, we do, uh, my executive team, we're meeting twice a week. One of those dedicated to the budget and that's just three or four of us. Our senior staff, we do one a week. My head coaches, we probably average one a week, um, and then all coaches we're doing every two weeks, and all staff we've done. We're about to do our second one since it's hit. So I involve them less. Um, I like <clears throat> just philosophically an, an organization chart with depth instead of being flat. Um, I think you empower people to make decisions and you get things done quicker when. You don't bottleneck stuff because it's running through one or two people. So, you know, the people that report directly to me, there's only outside of head coaches, there's only four of them. And, uh, you know, those people are empowered to make decisions and they empower the people below them. That way we don't get stuck in not ever getting anything done and and chasing our tails. So that's carried out kind of in our meeting schedule.
2: I would add the transition, like, you know, listening to Everest and yourself speak about you being a former – men's basketball head coach, how, how has that been for you, um, you know, as far as are you super hands-on with, with the basketball team still or is that like – and I ask because I've been a place where um, an AD had been like a coach for like 20 years, and he was like super hands-on. Yeah. Better word.
1: <laughs> well, generally speaking, this is what I always tell people, because uh, uh, Coach McCaslin and I are good friends. We knew, we knew each other a little bit before I hired him, so he'll ask me questions. And I'm quick to tell him, and Everest uh, knows this because Coach Pastor would ask me questions. I would always say, "Listen, if I thought I had the answers to these, I'd still be coaching because they make more money at the highest levels in AD. So <laughs> I would have stuck with that. I would have stuck with that path, um, you know. And so, uh, if I see an observation, I might, um, I might mention it, but more, more often than not, I won't. Um, and – but what I have found is because you don't do that, uh, when you have a relationship and, and trust with a, with your coaches, they'll ask you. Uh, and so then, you know, you just kind of put that in your back pocket and think, you know, like, um, you know, Coach McCaslin, he, he – he, you know, I would use him as another example. He gets all over uh, those, those guys. Um, and, you know, at the – every now and then he'll ask me anything I do any different. And I'll tell him, like – listen, I sit close enough to you. I I know what you're saying. He's not cussing them. He's not demeaning them. But you're very demonstrative on the court. And um, it just, I'm not sure that in in, in the heat of the moment that that's always the best way to rally your team. I've seen improvement there. That may or may not have been because of that conversation. I would have never just went to him. Uh, and, and but I wait for those moments, uh, because I think all of us, especially coaches, because listen, I think it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. Everything you do uh, is evaluated on that game and that result, even though that's a small portion of what the job is. You know, people don't see fighting to get those kids to do the right thing and you know treat the people right in their personal lives and the, and the make sure they're on track to graduate and all those things people just gauge you by that scoreboard and the insanity that that can create if, if a coach doesn't feel supported so I always just try and make them feel supported and then when the time comes that they're seeking feedback because they're in a good place, maybe it's not in the season or, you know, then I, then that's when I'll try to uh, give that feedback. Now, obviously if there was something that I thought jeopardized the rules or player safety or mental health, you know, I would step in there and say something. But um, outside of that, I mean, listen, if, if I know more about what it takes to be a successful coach in volleyball than our volleyball coach. We got some bigger problems than, than I can solve <laughs> by running over there offering suggestions. So my job is to get the right people, uh, here to equip them with the right tools and to make sure that, uh, administratively we have really good processes so they can get things done. Uh, they can get answers from compliance. They can, you know, get the business office to process things in, in a, in a, uh, in a quick way. Other than that, I need to stay out of the way unless they're seeking some feedback.
2: Absolutely. Now I'm going to ask you this because I asked all my male friend coaches this question. Would you hire a female?
1: Absolutely. Um, we, uh, we have uh, female and several minority uh, head coaches. Um, it's always interesting because um, you know, a lot of times, if a program hasn't been successful, whatever the, the, the most recent head coach was, everybody wants the opposite. Even the players. If you go into the locker room and you ask players, you know, and they let's say that it's a female team and they had a female coach and they didn't get along with them they'll tell you we'd like to have a male coach it's it's amazing you would not think that would ever happen I've had that happen almost every time so people just have this natural tendency if they had an older coach they want a younger coach if they have a younger coach they want an older coach um, and so I think as an AD you really have to pull, pull yourself back from that and think about what do we need here but I think it's important where you can. And it's not the only factor. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot that depends on what we do, wins and losses, uh, you know, that mounts pressure on everybody. But I think any time that you can bring diversity uh, to your staff, particularly in head coaching positions, whether that be race or gender or anything else, um, I think it's important because I think it's important for those – those, for those student athletes as a whole, to be able to see people who look like them, who they would identify with immediately, um, without having to build a relationship, uh, that are successful and that they're getting opportunities, I think that's important. And so, uh, to that end, um, we really try to try to emphasize diversity in our candidate pools for the for that reason.
0: Thank you for all. You're welcome. Uh, I gotta ask you one, one or two things about being in Texas. The only Texas people in Texas would know. I'm a Texan, native from Arlington. That's why I got my Cowboys hat on. You know what I'm saying? Go Whoa.
1: Cowboys!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Chicago. I haven't been in Texas since, uh, since last summer. So you're in Texas. I gotta know. Bluebell ice cream. What's your favorite flavor?
1: So you're probably uh, giving me a hard time about this. My wife always says, um, "I'm." I'm I'm not exciting enough, but I'm a vanilla guy. Hey, uh, hey, I'm but, a
0: PV cream guy. I'm not yeah, like a rock yeah, and roll daughter. Yeah. I'm regular too. <laughs> yeah. So like
1: I'm, you know, I think Bluebell is the best ice cream uh, uh, that you can ha- that you can buy. Uh, uh, but I'm regardless, I'm almost always a vanilla. Guy.
2: Since you're repping your Cowboys so hard, they haven't won since the Browns. Yeah, it's a
1: tortured fan base. And yeah, we there. Like, yeah.
2: comes by Browns as if uh, the, the Texans
0: have won. A Super- hey, Melissa, uh, I'm, I'm repping because we got that. We have us and the Baltimore Ravens got the A plus grade in the draft, so I gotta represent.
1: You know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah, I hear you. I mean, you guys are ever the optimist, uh, and then it, like, you just get let down again. I don't, you know. Uh, we, uh, I will say this about Texas. Um, you Know people that, that are from here and live here know uh, Waterburger and Brahms both are hey, there we go. Now. Hey, I'm going. Mean, Y'all, these gonna, people I'm are gonna, like, we get an in and out, in. And everybody wants to go there. I'm like, man,
0: nah, 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 it's all about that Waterburger. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> nice, hey, man. nice to meet you, too. My brother, man, we appreciate you coming on over every podcast. Everyone, please go follow him on Twitter at Ren Baker and please follow North Texas Athletics at Mean Green Sports our brother Ren Baker thank you
1: brother I appreciate you guys
0: thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. and don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod for the next episode we out